Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to owner and director of Achieve Performance Training, Jeremy Frisch. So today I am delighted to bring Jeremy Frisch to the podcast. After much stalking, after much pestering, we managed to line it up. So anyone who is on Twitter or Instagram and follows accounts which focus on athlete development, I'd be very, very surprised if you haven't come across Jeremy's obstacle courses and some of the work that he does in that youth development space. So in this episode, we naturally go first into obstacle courses and what benefit they can bring, not only for the younger athlete, but also for the adolescent athlete as well. We discuss how they fit into the bigger, wider program and what other stuff, what other exercises, what other programs Jeremy runs, which maybe aren't as as appealing to the eye, but obviously happen behind the scenes as well. We also discuss athlete engagement and how that that, um, relates to obstacle courses and gymnastics and parkour as well. So LTAD pathways, his, his overall philosophy, how he moves athletes through that pathway and how he deals with individual rates of development in, in group settings as well. So puberty, maturation, growth rates, etc. So this is a really, really interesting chat with Jeremy that I've been wanting to have for a while. So really glad to finally get him on. I'm sure it'll be an episode that you absolutely love. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I Measure You. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Jeremy Frisch. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So after much stalking 
over the last couple of weeks and months. I am delighted to welcome Jeremy Frisch to the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Hey, thanks for having me on. Big fan. Big fan of the podcast. Thank you very much. You're far too kind. So uh, firstly, apologies for the stalking over the last few months, but I'm really glad we've lined up a time slot in your late morning, early afternoon to uh, to have a chat. But anyone that doesn't know who you are, just want to give us a bit of a background on yourself, education-wise, um, previous roles, and then what you're doing um, with the facility. Yep. So so I am the... Uh... Currently, I am the owner and director of, of a private training facility called Achieve Performance Training. And I guess I would say that our biggest focus would be on long-term athletic development. Um, so we spend a lot of time working with, with younger athletes. But uh, my journey to that point was sort of long and winding. Um, and, and, you know, I think a lot of it of what I do now has to do with how I grew up. Um, as far as like my neighborhood and, and the things that I was involved in. Um, so growing up in this town, you know, I, I lived on a street where, where uh, if you went left, you, there was a wooded area where you could run trails and climb rocks. If you went right, there was a park where you could play any kind of sport. And, and so I pretty much had a really active, active childhood and we played all kinds of sports and things like that. And that sort of led into, um, you know, playing, uh, playing um, organized sports later on and then into high school. Um, I sort of chose uh, football as my uh, main favorite sport. So um, I got to play college football from there where I graduated from uh, Worcester State College, or now it's called Worcester State University. Makes it sound a little more fancy, but it's not. Um, <laughs> so I got my degree in health education and, uh, and phys ed there. And, um, you know, some at some point during my college career, I realized that uh, you could you could make a, a, a career out of being a trainer or a strength and conditioning coach, and so that's kind of what I started to lean towards. And um, while I was there, I did an internship at Stanford University for strength and conditioning, and uh, you know, I really got into that. Some of the guys that I uh, went to school with were into it as well. So we spent uh, I can't tell you how many nights we broke into the weight room at uh at at the college and uh you know did our own workouts and you know spent hours there just experimenting and doing different things at the time and uh for me it was such a great learning experience um uh so from from after after college i uh in my internship i worked at a few different facilities um one of them was called uh the competitive athlete training zone where i got to become a director um there for a few years and then from there, I went to uh, Holy Cross uh, Holy Cross College to become a uh, assistant strength and conditioning coach to the uh, legendary Jeff Oliver, who uh, does a great job at that uh, at that college. Um, and that was a great spot because it was just me and him, and there was you know 32 teams, and we had to split them up, and so we were really busy. And you had to you you worked with a lot of athletes, and you walked, you worked with a lot of different types of teams, so you really had to learn kind of the ins and outs and how to train this person and how to work with this person and, and obviously working with coaches as well and try to make them happy and try to see it from their view and, you know, try to give them your philosophy and things like that. Um, and then from there, I sort of got the itch to, um, you know, I really started getting into the physical education and reading about that. And I started having children at that time. And so I, 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 uh, you know, in my back of my brain, I sort of, sort of realized that, um, you know, if any athletes were were presenting with certain issues in the college, you know, in that college level, 
I sort of think thought it was a little bit too late to be able to to really fix them or or show them or develop these different movement type uh, movement skills. And so I sort of started working backwards and being like, well, if you really want to start someone off the right way and really develop athleticism the way you want it, you know, it needs to start a lot earlier. And that was sort of my first steps into becoming, uh, you know, more of a, a youth strength and conditioning, you know, physical education type type training. Um, so I left uh, Holy Cross and opened up my own facility. Um, in the beginning, I really just I, I, I trained plenty of adults, but we worked with mostly middle school and high school, but over the years as the, I've learned more and kind of refined things and realized, uh, you know, studied more and learned more. I realized that, uh, you know, children need activity and they need movement and they need, uh, they need an opportunity to explore different types of movements and they're not getting that, whether it's because, uh, video games or parents let them, won't let them outside or school doesn't have physical education, all those things sort of, spawned how I run my program here. Um, so we have programs uh, for, it's called Speed Demons, which is a program that starts as young as kindergarten to second grade. And then we have Speed Demons Plus, which is basically third and fourth and fifth grade. And then we have sort of athletic development where we, those kids, you know, kind of make a shift from more of a, more to a more organized type of training you know, in, in the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, then into high school, it's more strength and conditioning. So that's kind of where I'm at now and how I got there. Nice. So what what kind of split are we talking about when it comes to the, the people that are walking in the doors of the facility? Adults, kids? Yep. Um, so, so, you know, mornings for me, early morning, obviously we get lots of adults coming in, you know, so we do groups. I do mostly groups. I, I, I loathe working with people one-on-one. Um, I just love the group dynamic. I probably, that's probably from working with groups of athletes for so long. So I just love that. Um, and then, so mornings are usually mostly adults. And then once uh, school gets out in the afternoon, we have a fair amount of like high school athletes coming in. And then after the high school athletes, the middle school athletes come in. And then after that, we have the elementary school kids coming through the door. But then after that, once work gets out, we have more adults who come at night. So it's pretty, you know, nice. there's a lot of different people coming through the door at different, you know, of different ages and sizes and, and abilities. So mm -hmm. just from, from my experience here in the UK and speaking with some kind of private facility owners, and it's a diff completely different system. So there's definitely kind of no comparison because we don't have the collegiate guys, of course. But people always have the idea of I'm going to open a facility and I'm going to train athletes. Well, 95% of your your population who are going to come through your doors won't be athletes and you're going to use them to try to get the five percent and probably five percent over here is probably a, a quite a, a high percentage what is that what is it that over there so wannabe athletes or same i mean athletes i can tell you this okay. i can tell you this that my adults keep my doors open you know what i mean yes the adults keep the doors yeah. open because they're always here they're always coming through the door they, they they basically train with me year round for years and years and years whereas the athletes like the college kids are only here in the summer um the high school kids are here just seasonally as much as i would love for them to be training year-round most kids will when they're playing their preferred sport or sports they're only here during the, those off-season times was that was that something that surprised you when you after you'd opened your facility or was that something that you were more than prepared for i was prepared because i had worked at a, another facility before i was a co uh, college strength and conditioning coach 
Um, and so we had pretty much the same, I was going into it knowing that already because I, we had similar sort of, um, you know, I, I had that experience before in another facility when I was, uh, when I was the director, I didn't have to deal with any of the business side of that stuff. But, um, the only difference was that facility I worked at previously was inside like a sports arena. So you had soccer teams and lacrosse teams and all these different athletes walking past your door every day. Um, so we did get a fair amount of athletes because of our exposure just visually to, to what we were doing. You know what I mean? Parents would walk by and be like, Oh, what's that? Oh, we do this. We train athletes. And then we pick up a lot of, you know, we pick up a lot of athletes that way. Or, you know, I think the guys that I worked with, you know, we were all football, uh, had football backgrounds and there was a fair amount of, uh, decent football coaches around the area that were into started getting to get into strength and conditioning with their athletes. So they came to us. Um, so, so I, but at the same time we did, we had a fair amount of adults that were training with us. And, and I, I realized then that those people are with you all the time. And so you better be good at it one, and you better be nice to those people because they're going to help, you know, keep your business going. Mm-hmm. Nice. So how has it been going from a, been a, I know you'd worked in a private facility before, but going from a strength coach working in a collegiate setting to actually dealing with the business side of things, has that been something that you've enjoyed? You've kind of relished, or is that something that you, you still really enjoy the coaching and that's yeah. kind of your, I mean, if I had someone to take care of me and do that stuff for me, I would, it would be great. I'm still not, I'm okay. still not awesome at it. I, I try to make it as simple as I can. It does help with, it's just me. You know what I mean? I don't have a ton of help here at the facility. So I don't always have to deal with like, you know, other employees, things like that. Um, I usually have like interns that help me or I'll have like uh, former athletes who are now sort of, um, you know, maybe in between in school and looking for a little bit of work. So they might help me a little bit with some of my younger group classes. <coughs> so, you know, the business side is definitely something I always need to work on, something I don't like to do. Um, but it's, it's a, you know, it's a necessary evil, I guess. So. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. I think, I think that, uh, coming from the, the collegiate setting to here, I had some good systems in place as far as like writing programs and sort of like, I had all these, you know, all these programs that I had written for my athletes there and I still had those. So that was a pretty easy transition, especially with the uh, high school and college athletes. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. no, but absolutely. then, the the younger kids is where I sort of like threw out all the rules. You know, every, everything I knew about strength and conditioning, I threw out all the rules and just started from scratch. And I and I sort of started reading. That's where I started getting into, you know, more physical education. Um, you know, I look at, like, we uh, on your email, uh, you know, parkour, ninja warrior, obstacle mm. courses, you know, that type of stuff. I started realizing, like, what do kids really love and what's going to get them to move around and improve their skills? You know what I mean? And I... I realized quickly, like a lot of kids don't like to do exercise. Like if you tell kids to do 20 lunges or 20 yards of bear crawls, I mean, they'll do it, but it's not fun for them. It's not engaging. So how do we figure out ways to do those things in a, in an environment that they like, you know, that'll force, that'll keep them mm-hmm. coming back. And when they leave that night, they go tell their parents how much of a good time they had, you know, that's the, that's the key. Absolutely. And that and that's something that you've done really well is is share that share them experiences that them kids are going through on social media. And I think that's like I said to you before we hit record that people engage with that stuff because the kids are so engaged. And I think that's 
that's something that you've become very known for. And I just, I was going to ask the question of, of kind of where that inspiration came from, but you've just articulated that perfectly. So that's, that's all good. But in terms of developing the obstacle, obstacle courses that you've been kind of, or have become very much known for, what's the, what's the, the thought process behind what we might see on Twitter or Instagram of what the stuff you're doing in the, so, uh, in the facility? You know, I, I think that, um, some of the some of the sort of um, inspiration came from watching, you know, my brothers growing up. They did track and field, um, and so I always loved like watching that stuff, like the jumping and the and the and the uh, like high jump and long jump and and the running part. And so I used to go home and like sort of like set up my own hurdles. And I set up like we used to set up our own high jump mat. Or we'd take old mattresses, and we did all those things when we were kids because we saw the older kids doing them that were in high school, and we had so much fun, you know, doing different obstacle courses and and doing different types of contests where we had to jump over something as high as we could, or you know, jump jump over, you know, doing long like long jump type activities or jumping in the pool, you know. So those things I always knew were fun for me, and so it was an easy, you know. When I started working with young kids, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, we started setting up these different, these different uh, activities and obstacles for them to figure out how to go over or around or whatever it is, and and you could tell right away how much the kids enjoyed it, because um, kids love to see how fast they can do something, or they love to race against each other and see how, you know, how they can do something. So for me, it just sort of grew. It it, it was really simple at first. I mean, our obstacle courses that we did in the beginning was nothing but like some cones on the ground that they had to run around. Maybe they, uh, hopped in, in and out of like, uh, some, uh, some hula hoops. Um, you know, maybe they did a couple forward rolls on a mat. It was real simple stuff. And over the years, I've sort of expanded my, my equipment, uh, to be able to do more, uh, complex, you know, type of activities. So now we have, um, we have a thing called the patch, which is like this sort of, um, obstacle course sort of barrier type thing that you can that comes in different heights and that you can take it apart and set it up in different ways um so we have that i have some some uh obviously tons of gymnastic mats we have a crash pad where the kids can like sort of dive and roll <clears throat> we have a trapezoid pad where the kids can like climb up and ro- and jump off or roll down where you got trampolines or mini trampolines so i sort of just started looking around and looking at all the things that children love to do and then just combined them in in a million different ways in a, in an obstacle course. So anything that we might see on Twitter as like a, a video, for example, is there is there like tick boxes that you go through when designing and putting these together? I I want a single leg landing uh, portion. That's kind of tick. Double leg landing portion tick. Do you go through that process when you develop these, or is it a little bit more? So for me, I like to set fair? things up where it's like, all right, I'm going to set this up, but I want to see how they go over this. You know, I'm going to set this mm-hmm. these pads up in this way, and I want to see how kids, you know, climb over or jump over this, and what are the what are the different ways that kids do that? You know what I mean? And, and what you see is is that kids of different heights and sizes and ages and abilities do things different ways. So there's not one way it's for them. That's the way they figured out at that moment. You know what I mean? Not that that won't change. They might see another kid do something and be like, Oh, I'll try it that way. You know? So for example, we have, uh, I love like, uh, we do tons of like 
different vaulting over different barriers. You know, the kids will run up to the to the uh, to the barrier and put their hands on it and try to flip their feet over to the side. You know, we'll do different ways where we do it on one hand or we're using two hands. We'll do it where the kids have to hop their feet up onto the barrier and down. They'll do it where they have to just fling their feet over to the side and, and totally clear the barrier. Different ways, you know what I mean? Um, and so I like to see how the kids approach those things and how they do it. Um, and and I like to see their different the different body postures that they're in and the ways the ways they're the ways they're doing it is I'm, I'm always looking at like all right well what are we strengthening here what are we what are the things that are getting worked what part of the body obviously you know it's everything but you know how 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 is a how is a bear crawl different from a spider man crawl how is a uh, forward roll different than a backwards roll you know what I mean so um, when it comes to I would say the older kids I try to do activities where like you just talked about like we're gonna work on we're going to work on hopping. All right. So we're going to work on being, being, you know, agile and, and quick on one foot. And so we might play a game of tag where we play tag on one foot where they have to hop the whole time. Right. So I know that I'm going to get that type of, of uh, activity in that game and I'm going to work. We're going to work on that one single thing. You know what I mean? So um, going back, but going back to the obstacle course, things I want to see during the course though, uh, you know, Level change, you know, when they have to duck under something, uh, where they have to step over something, where they have to jump over something, where they have to uh, climb up and maybe roll down, like really basic movements, uh, where they have to run around things. So, uh, you know, some type of like change of direction, agility, um, all those things can be sort of put into a, a, an obstacle course to work on those different skills. So for the, for the younger kids do you use them obstacle courses to identify like common common threads that how 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 kids may approach a certain obstacle which you can then kind of drill down on with another potentially another obstacle course which forces more of that pattern or are you or okay you can do that i mean with the younger kids i'm just looking for a, a wide variety of movements and i'm, yeah. and I'm okay. you know especially from k through two I'm just looking to see when I set up the obstacles, I try to put as many obstacles out as I can and make them all diff as different as possible. Um, you know what I mean? So, and, and then, then they can just attack it. I, I usually don't say anything else, but just sit back and watch them go through go. it. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so sometimes some kids want to get through it as fast as they can. Right. Uh, some kids take their time and think it's just fun to like kind of move slowly and, you know, if, if we had an obstacle where the kids had to like maybe duck under or roll under, there's there's many kids who just love that feeling of like rolling under it, and they'll take their time and go really slow and laugh the whole time. Where there's other kids who like attack that thing and go under it as fast as possible. Yeah. So it's, it's nice. it, yeah, and so a lot of times what we do with the young kids too is they need variety and they get really bored really fast. So if we set up an obstacle course, we'll let them run through it maybe 10, 15 times. They'll get a drink. They'll be out of breath. They'll laugh. But then, like, they sort of get bored with it right away. So then you have to add another piece. So I'll be like, all right, let's time. Let's see how fast you guys can get through this, and I'll take out the stopwatches. And then they're engaged again because now there's a new part of this obstacle course. How fast can we go through it? And so I start timing kids. And then that gets bored. And they're like, oh, can we do something else? I'm like, all right, let's change the obstacle course so you guys have to race each other. 
So we, we kind of manipulate the course. So there's like two lanes. So the kids actually have to race, you know, one V one. Um, and, and, uh, one of the ways that they love to do it here is when we do a race, we always end the race with the crash pad. <laughs> yes. So when they finish, they have to like dive into the pad and that's the finish. The yeah. first one who hits the pad. So they love that. Like they just totally get, they get crazy for that. So there's different ways to do it too. So you can set up obstacle course, just have run it, but then you can add other pieces to it to, to kind of re-engage them in what you're doing. Um, so that usually goes on, you know, we can probably knock off in a, in a session about 25, 30 minutes of that. And then after that, they're pretty spent and we'll move on to some type of like game activity, whether it's like uh, some type of, you know, we'll chase each other, we'll play tag. Uh, we have a game we call boulder ball where we're, you know, the coach tries to hit the kids with like a stability ball. Not, not too hard, but you know, we'll chase them around. We have a game called alien tag, which actually I was looking for ways to get my young athletes to like jump off the ground, to leap in the air and different ways for them to jump. So we came up with alien tag where I use a pool noodle and I chase the kids around but I can only get them out of the game if I hit them in the ankle. So when they're running at me or running away from me and I'm swinging that, they're always trying to leave the ground. They're always jumping. They're always either like double leg jump or leaping in the air and try to get away from me. Um, and so it's a great activity for them to work on those skills without even realizing they're doing it. So I actually got some great like pictures of where kids are like running at me and I swing that thing nice and low and they're like just taking off in the air. You know, they look great too. It's just so natural for them to do that movement. You just got to put them in the right environment, you know? So, so next question would be based on that. And that sounds absolutely fantastic, by the way, I, I, I want to get involved. Um, where does the, or does the, for especially more, pretty more for the older kids, where does the structure, how does it fit in with the more structured training or is that something completely different? I like a different, session that different kids would would attend just explain that as far as with the younger kids right it's the idea is get them moving we don't need to overcoach anything you know just make them active play lots of games that involve a whole variety of different movements right and not not worry about it too much as far as like oh what are they, are they doing you know this specific movement or that specific movement the idea is to just give them so many activities that they probably cover all yep. those things right so as the kids get older and it does, I, I'll, I'll take it. So for example, maybe a fourth, fifth, sixth graders, we might take um, the obstacle course or versions, parts of it that we have, and we'll use that as sort of an organized warm up. Okay. Yep. Right. So we'll put some, we'll put some barriers out. So the kids have to vault over. We'll put some things that they have to duck under. Maybe we'll put some cones down. They have to bear crawl to a certain, you know, maybe 10 yards or five yards. Uh, maybe they zigzag through some cones, you know, or different movements. Maybe they have to skip from, you know, from after the bear crawl, they have to go to a, an A skip. So we're going to start adding like sort of fundamental movement skills. And I want to see those guys do each thing fairly well. Do you know what I mean? I want them to kind of have more technical proficiency rather than just try to go through it as fast as they can, which is what you see the younger kids do. So we'll sort of like still use the obstacle course, but now we're using it. We're, we're trying to use that as a way to, to warm up and work on different mm -hmm. movement skills. So how would that, how would that develop as you go even older than that? 
do, do obstacle courses have a ceiling of age or do they just keep developing and getting more complex and different teams? Well, I would, I would say that, you know, if I had the space, the space and facility and, uh, and, and could set up more of a facility that was like, um, you know, parkour slash Ninja Warrior, where you had some really difficult type movements or difficult, difficult type events or, or activities, I would. I'd probably stop doing the obstacle courses, you know, in the actual training session after fifth or sixth grade. Um, but let me tell you this. Every time the younger kids are doing an obstacle course and the younger, the older kids see it, they always want to join. Of course they do. Always. So, so, do so do the parents. <laughs> yeah, you got like a second grader running through an obstacle course and all of a sudden right next to him, here comes a sophomore in high school, you know, 15-year-old kid who's down at the gym doing their strength training and they want to jump in and start running around with the eight-year-olds, you know? It's it's funny. So although they don't typically do it in their workouts, um, they kids love to do it. You know, so they'll always jump in. And the younger kids love when the older kids do jump in too, which is nice. You know what I mean? So, so, so in your facility, um, Jeremy, there's there is obviously, I mean, like I said before, the obstacle costs are what you've kind of been known for, and and the, the stuff you put out is fantastic. But there is in that facility there is space for traditional strength training. Yep. Yeah. So we have a separate separate room that's um basically platforms that I made. And so we have a room that where we do, we do most of our Olympic lifting. And then there's another section next to the turf where the kids play on the turf and, or, you know, the athletes will sprint and do agility work and all that stuff. Next to that, we have another section that's, you know, I have kettlebells and dumbbells and a big, uh, big like rig that people can do chin-ups and squats and all things like that on too. So, yeah, I mean, when you walk in at any time, especially in the afternoon, you're going to see kind of, a snapshot of long-term athletic development when it comes to like strength and conditioning. You know what I mean? You're going to see children doing very basic elementary type movements. You're going to see middle school kids learning how to start to skip. And you know, the first, uh, the first activities that you do for like maybe speed work, um, you know, where we start to teach them a skips and B skips and different types of movements, you know, we're going to start working on change of direction, things like that. You're going to see, um, you know, maybe uh, junior high athletes learning how to maybe Olympic lift for the first time. And you're going to see high school kids throwing throwing weights around, you know, maybe some football guys in here. So it's right across the board. You're going to see all those things happening. Um, and I think, I think that uh, we're at a point now where kids are, we've been around, we've been open 10 years, so we've had kids transition through these phases. You know what I mean? So I think it's probably easy for someone to walk in who's off the street being like, I don't want to work out here. There's too many little kids. <laughs> right. But if you look really closely, there's also big kids doing big kids yeah. stuff here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So you got to look real close. Like we're just covering all the bases We're we're training the athletes from the earliest possible time where we can get their hands on them all the way up and through you know, high school and college, and obviously adults. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Jeremy. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, we discuss more around how Jeremy individualizes within a group setting with those athletes that are developing quickly and with those athletes that are maybe developing a little bit slower in terms of their biology as well as their, their physical capabilities as well. So really interesting part two coming up with Jeremy. 
This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kangatech. So born out of 10 years of research and development, Kangatech is the world's most advanced injury prevention platform. So most recently, Kangatech has released its KT360 testing and training platform, which consists of a portable and adaptable, easy to use fixed frame dynamometry system that allows accurate and reliable measurement of isolated neuromuscular strength, endurance and control. Advanced software analytics allow sport-specific athlete profiling to understand injury risk and guide prescription of appropriate intervention. Kangatech has developed over 35 isometric and eccentric testing and training protocols spanned across the whole body. With KT360, you can test one muscle group bilaterally, and that can be done in under 30 seconds with real-time biofeedback and immediate automated reporting designed to motivate the athlete and inform staff of outcomes instantaneously. To find out more about Kangatech, email how at kangatech.com, visit the website at kangatech.com, or check them out on Twitter at kanga underscore tech. This episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave, which is the only non-invasive at rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position and this data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement only takes four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our windows of trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sport athletes, military and law enforcement agencies. They're also an official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So to learn more about Omega Wave, visit their website, omegawave.com or visit their social media channels. One thing that's come up in a couple of conversations with guys that work in predominantly football or soccer academies over here in the UK who have a, a very much of a play element to their um, within their pathways especially on the on the earlier side of that and yep. one thing that I'm always interested in is and this is different being a private setting I know but how they actually manage and track progression of of things that are very loose and very hard to track and monitor. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that and if that is uh, actually an issue for you or that's not an issue for you. Yeah, I mean, it is – I wouldn't say I write things down and track. I think for me, when I want to advance an athlete, um, it's sort of just more with my eyes, you know what I mean, um, where I see them – they may do be doing – you know, they may get be getting older and you can see them starting to uh, mature. And so you, they're probably ready to move on to something more complex or start to, you know, maybe they don't need to uh, just do activities that are just uh, games anymore and they can move on to more organized type training. You know what I mean? Um, the other side of it too is, is that I think a lot of coaches, especially in strength and conditioning, strength and conditioning, I guess its history is very regimented, right? Everything's I, like absolutely this, yeah. It's, it's yeah. so regimented, and like everything's like this amount of sets and this amount of reps, and you do this phase and that phase, and you know even coaches like scream at the athletes if they don't do it in their 
exact precise way, right? But with young athletes, the the thing that the magic of training young athletes, what you're going to see is that it's really, really, really messy. You know what I mean? Like no, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. They, they, it's messy. And you have to get used to that. You have to get used to things not looking awesome. Like, because everyone makes their videos, right, with their athletes. And you take your best kids and you do this extra, you take your best kids who do the exercises perfectly and everything looks awesome and everything, like all these movements, they're, they're, they're so robotic and, you know, rigid. And everyone's like, ah, oh, this is so awesome. But that's not how sport is. And that's not how young kids develop. They try stuff out and they suck at it and they do it a little more and they get a little better. And a lot of times then they say, oh, let's try it this way. And they do something else and they never look awesome because they're just doing a whole bunch of different things, you know? Um, and I think and- it's, I think it is, it is tough for coaches to, and it's tough for me, even asking the questions, I'm conscious that I'm sounding like one of them people that you've just described because well, listen, it is, it is quite me. hard for people to get their head around. Yeah. That used to be me. That used yeah. to be me. So I, I like, I, it took me a long time to get out of that. So I'm not sell, I'm not throwing any punches out there at anyone else. But like I used to be that guy, you know what I mean? But once you spend enough time with young athletes and realize like how they really develop, then, you know, it's like, Oh, that's not how, that's not how athleticism, athleticism is developed. It's developed by kids falling down and getting back up. It's developed by, you know, uh, getting run down in a game of tag and trying to find out a different way to not get tagged. You know what I mean? It's it's like you got to put a kids in so many different scenarios so they figure out a variety of different ways to move. And, and like I said, when they first do it, it looks really, really messy. And if I put a bunch of kids in line, like a bunch of fourth graders, and ask them to do 10-yard uh, A skips, like everyone's going to look funny. Everyone looks different. Hardly anyone does it. Now, I could sit there and try to correct every kid and make it look perfect but you'd be pulling your hair out by the end of the day. You know what I mean? It'd be so frustrating. So you just introduce it to them and you, you let them practice it. And over time, you do little bits of it. They get better. They get better. All the kids just, they're unbelievable. They, how, how much with a little bit of exposure and not even that much coaching, how much better they get at things. Because you're in a private facility and not in a, like I've just mentioned before, as an example, a professional club, can you be a little bit more patient with them? And a little bit more, a little bit looser with them that this kid will eventually get it, whether it takes him four weeks or fourteen weeks. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I can, I can definitely not worry because I, I mean, my 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 thought is always like, all right, I want this kid to be the best he can be in, like, you know, if you're in fourth grade, be the best he can be when he's sixteen or seventeen or eighteen. You know what I mean? Because the reality is, is there's so much changes that are going to happen in the next few years. So you have a kid that's young and you want that kid obviously to, to get better, but you have to realize that the moment you teach him something, um, he's going to hit a growth spurt and everything gets thrown out the window. It's like, I don't can't tell me how many times I've seen kids go from, you know, looking really great and coordinated and then they hit a growth spurt and they come in and they look sort of clumsy and, and falling over their own feet. It happens all the time. And I get, I get so how I so how do you deal with that, that Jeremy? Oh, sorry. I, anecdotally, too, I get that from parents too. Like that's a lot. Actually, how a lot of kids end up end up here is that you know a kid was really athletic and looked really great when he was younger, and then they start to grow grow a little bit, and they get a little bit slower, and things kind of weren't going as well as they did. And their parents will come in. Um, the parents will come in and uh, 
say, oh, yeah, little Johnny used to be so athletic, and now he seems like he's he needs some work on his speed and their agility. That's always the big one, right? Or the coach told me that little Johnny needs more speed and agility. Like, yeah, I mean, he needs probably some coordination and movement skill work, but um, it's a lot of a lot of times it's just because they've been growing so much, so things get thrown off. You know what I mean? So how do you deal with that in a group setting when there's all them, even a, a, a 12-year-old, 14-year-old, whatever it may be, so many different um, stages of, of physical development? How do you deal with that from a facility director, well, facility manager? I mean, I think every kid needs every kid needs movement skills, right? Every kid needs to be working on acceleration and speed. And so, uh, you know, and change direction and all those things. So I don't have to change. I don't look to change too much individually. Like I think all those kids need that stuff. Every, I think all those kids need uh, good range of motion. They need to, to lunge and squat and step and push and pull and do all these different movements. So I don't get too worried about like individual programming. I just sort of know, I feel like if we just do all those basic things, uh, on a consistent basis, it's like putting money in the bank, a couple bucks here, a couple bucks there down the road, it's all going to pay off, you know? So I think, I think the individualization comes in when you have an athlete that's ready to start strength training, you know, with weights or, you know, they're ready to start really getting stronger. That's where the individualization, individualization comes from when you have different body types that can do different exercises. You know, not every kid can rack a bar to do a, a hand clean. Uh, kids might be stiffening shoulders. They can't press overhead, you know, all that type of stuff where you got to look at the athlete and figure out what their needs are and uh, where to go from there. You know what I mean? I think that's where that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that type of stuff comes in. So one thing would be good to get some clarification on, and I know you mentioned it a little, a little while ago, just the phases that the, the kids go through and what the focuses of them phases are. I know we chatted around a little bit of that with regards to the um, obstacle courses, but as, as the kids progress, what phases do you get? What phases have you structured and what is the aim of each phase and how the kid progresses through that, sure. that so, pathway? So again, the beginning, right? K through two, three, the, the, the idea really is to just present them with um, as many activities as possible in as many different ways as possible. Um, so that comes in the form of games, comes in the form of obstacle courses. Uh, it comes in the form of, you know, I don't know, any activity that, that, that will engage them and will allow them to do those things, right? So I don't coach much at that age. We just look to, just look to, to do stuff, as much stuff as possible. And, and like we were saying before, an obstacle course allows them to do so many different things. So that's why it's such a great tool. Um, moving on up, I think, and there's been, there's been, um, there's been a lot of, there's always this uh, argument about when to start teaching kids like kind of foundational movements like uh, squats and lunges and things like that. Um, and I found that when I tried to teach it, when kids were really young, like elementary school age, they really didn't care about it. Uh, they didn't really, uh, it wasn't like something that it was engaging for them and fun for them. So, you know, I, I sort of let it slide. And and so I, I moved that type of movement work to a little bit older. So maybe fourth or fifth or sixth grade. So that's when I start to teach those basic movements and it's still in a kind of body weight setting, right? We might. Do it. We just do it for very short periods of time where we do like um, 
you know, we'll do bodyweight squat or, or lunges or step ups or we'll do exercises like bear crawls um, or crab walks, things that uh, teach pushing, pushing movements and not necessarily just like a push up or a bench press or anything like that. Um, you know, we do a lot of that age. We'll start to do a lot of like hanging on the barbells. I mean, on a barbells on a, like a chin up bar or um, climbing where the kids have to kind of shimmy across the bar. We, I love that type of stuff because it really starts to work on, you know, challenging the, the grip, forearm, arm, shoulder, you know, scapula, things like that. I really love those types of movements for kids. They love it too. They love to climb and they love to hang. So it's great for them. Um, and so that age group's a funny one because you can sort of start to put in organized training, but you should also – add plenty of games and activities. So we might, uh, do say we, say we do a activity like, um, you know, I'll have, I'll just put some tennis balls five yards away and the kids have to like sprint, pick up the tennis ball and run back. So a really simple task oriented drill where that usually puts them in good, like change of direction positions, good shit angles, you know, they push off and sprint back. And so we'll use that drill for a few minutes and then I'll make up a game that like, we'll maybe we'll go in, into a tag game that does the same type of movements, but now we're in more of a chaotic environment. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we sort of like do smaller bits of organized training where they learning things and working on things. And then we follow those things up with more kind of open fun games and activities that allow them to just explore the movements that they sort of, uh, that they learned. Did it come from you or maybe someone else with the, um, that, that a similar game to what you talked about with the tennis balls, but then playing like a knots and crosses at the, at the, at the top end of the drill. We might've done that before. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we have so many drills that we do with tennis balls. Um, yeah. You know, it's like one of those things, like if you had like a youth athletic starter kit, that would be the first thing that I'd tell people to buy is a, is a bag of tennis balls. You know, they're, they're awesome to do. Um, but also in that group, <clears throat> one of the things I've done lately, and I, I haven't even brought this up yet, was um, another type of movement skill that I think is huge that uh, children should be working on is like, you know, tumbling, rolling, falling, things like that, gymnastics type exercises. And I'm not looking to develop gymnasts, so we don't have to worry about the competitive type stuff that you see in most gymnastics facilities. I just want kids to be able to, you know, fall and roll, whether it's, uh, you know, somersault or shoulder roll or back shoulder roll or being able to roll sideways things like that you know we teach that those movements and they go really well with like the animal style movements of bear crawls and crab walks and spider-mans and things like that so we spend a lot of time doing those movements as well um and we we try to use those in different activities for example we play a game of tag where um the kids are in a bear crawl position and they have, you know, they, they have to play tag in that, you know, they can't get up and run away. They have to crawl away or crab walk, or we play, uh, we play soccer where we're in a bear crawl position and have to slap the ball to the person and try to get it between their legs on the other side. So again, uh, we might do a small period where we're just working on that specific, uh, specific exercise or activity. And then we try to put it in again, in a game, a more competitive game, chaotic environment. So I, I is the gymnastics, gymnastic stuff. Is that something you can integrate into the obstacle courses? Yeah. I'm so, guessing it can. So we do, you know, we'll do uh, some of our, you know, it's nice like on the, um, 
we have a, a trapezoid, like a trapezoid uh, thing. So it's a, it's kind of like uh, four pillars that that Velcro together, and they go as it goes higher, the 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 distance or the width of the pad gets smaller and smaller. So the kids can use it to like it's like a almost like a pizza wedge. The kids can use it to do rolls off of. So we'll we'll definitely incorporate that. We do a lot of uh, forward rolls and backwards rolls off that type of type of uh, machine. Um, sorry, my stupid phone keeps ringing here. Fine, your mind demand. So so we definitely we will definitely use those type of movements inside a. Um, <laughs> And uh, it's really great. You know, I, I love I love that those type of movements. Um, lately, what we've been doing with our kids is we basically write up a workout on the board. So let's say kids come in and I put up, all right, I want you guys to do 30 back shoulder rolls. I want you guys to do 100 yards of Spider-Man crawls. I want you guys to do five times uh, climbing across the uh, the rig, and so they just will go. They'll just scatter, right? And every kid will go and do a different <laughs> thing. We got one kid climbing. We got another kid doing rolls. We got another kid doing jumps over the hurdle. We got another kid, like, uh, throwing a medicine ball, and they'll just hit each area until they're done. You know what I mean? And that might take, like, it's it's chaos. Like, the kids are everywhere. They're all over the place. Some kids will do a little bit here and a little bit there, and go around some kids will do like if i said do 50 hurdle jumps they're like they're going to do 50 hurdle jumps in a row right uh and i don't really care like i want to just see them do it and practice it and and you know a lot of times with children they'll their fatigue will guide them you know what i mean so like they'll get tired they're going to rest if they do you know spider-man crawls for for 20 yards or 40 yards like they're going to get up and rest and when they're when they get their rest, they're going to do it again. So it's like, I don't have to give them the rest period. I don't have to give them a certain amount of sets because they're going to, their bodies sort of guide them anyways. It's the same thing when you watch kids on a playground, they chase each other around. And then when they get really tired, they stop and they catch their breath. And what do they do? They go again. And they do that over and over and over again. And it's like built in interval training. You know, they don't even know they're doing it. Right. I mean, it's like <laughs> they got this figured out. They got it figured out. The kids know how to do it. So what I do is I just come up with a bunch of exercises and I go, go attack it. And when they're done, then they sort of, you know, they're sweating and, and tired, but that's when the next, the, the, the rest of the session we'll, we'll do more activities like uh, games and chasing drills and, and uh, you know, exercises or activities that they get really fired up for. You know what I mean? Do you have anything that where, where the kids actually make their own sessions up and, and kind of they direct what they do? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes I sit down and I'll be like, um, and we do this at different ages as well. So I'll get to the older kids in a second, but you know, I'll sit down and I'll be like, all right, I'll tell them. I'm like, we need to make sure we need to, we need to work on X, Y, and Z. So I'm like, I want to make sure that today we do some type of rolling activity. I want to make sure that we do some type of hanging or climbing activity. And I want to make sure we do some type of like, sprinting speed activity and they'll be like all right well we're gonna do resisted runs we're gonna do uh we're gonna hang on the bar for uh we're gonna try to hang on the bar for as long as we can against each other uh and we're gonna do back shoulder rolls and i'll be like all right great boom 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 let's go and the kids will break off and go do it you know what i mean um so i have a group of older kids like high school who have been with me for so long 
that they'll come up to me and be like, uh, I want to, you know, I want to write a program. I want a new program. And they'll sit down with me and I'll sit with them and be like, all right, well, we need to do like here. What do you want to do? Like we should do a push, a push here. And they'll be like, oh, I really love bench press. All right, great. Let's do bench press. You know, I want to get stronger. All right, let's do five by five here. You know what I mean? And I'll sort of guide them, but they'll write their own program. Because listen, at the end of the day, these kids, most of them are not going to be professional athletes, right? They're going to be adults someday and they're going to be somewhere. Maybe they're going to be in charge of their own fitness. Maybe they're not going to be at a facility like mine. Maybe they're going to be at a corporate corporate gym where they have to work out at uh, five in the morning and they need to know how to do that stuff. So I want to teach those athletes how to be able to take care of themselves. Oh, you need to stretch? Oh, this stick stretch. You know, you'll remember this. If you do this enough times, you're going to remember this for the rest of your life. And so I want them to sort of take ownership of some of their programs, especially the kids who've been around for a long time, and be able to write their own their own workouts. Mm-hmm. So that happens actually a lot here. Awesome. Good. Excellent. So I know there's um, – you did you write an article for Simply Faster recently? I'm just trying to point people in direction for more – information based off what we've spoke about where, where the where the what's the best articles that, and videos and stuff that people can go find yep so uh the um the most recent one is on simply faster um and it was about it was 15 things sort of about like what your uh if you if you love your athlete child um and basically just just not to uh it really the, the theme of it was not to not to get too crazy into youth sports like it's not everything there's lots of other activities you can do. Uh, it doesn't. You don't always have to uh, be at uh, practice uh, for those things. You can you can develop athleticism in many different ways, from uh, playing a game of uh, wiffle ball to you know chasing the family dog around the yard. There's lots of different ways to get to get athletic. So that was a really great one. It's uh, it was it was um, really hit home because I have kids. You know what I mean, and I coach too. So I'm kind of on both sides of the coin because not only is am I a you know strength and conditioning coach but i coach uh, my own children's youth sports teams that was that was something that i was going to ask you jeremy how was this journey over the last 10 years on that facility and before guided how you direct your kids and what you encourage them to get involved with or what you discourage them to get involved with yeah i mean i think i think that um they're as much a part of my development and what i'm doing now as the time I put in learning it from other people or books or, you know what I mean? Just having them around me all the time and just watching them do the things they do. Or like my, it was funny. My oldest son the other night was telling my younger son, like, Oh, you know, I'm coordinated. I'm more coordinated than you right now because dad did all these silly exercises with me when I was just a a baby. I just started laughing because it's, you know, we used to come to the gym and he would do, I'd be like, all right, let's work on doing rolls. Let's work on hanging on the bar. Let's work on all these different things. And he, that, that poor kid, every experiment I had, he, he's the one that went through them. <laughs> so, but now, you know, now he's a little bit older and he's giving his brother, younger brother, a hard time about, uh, you know, him being a, he thinks he's a better athlete than his younger brother, but he doesn't realize his younger brother is a couple of, you know two years makes a big difference. And I told them all to wait till they're 18 and then they can figure out who's the, who's the better athlete. So getting competitive. Love yeah. it. So, um, so where's your, what's, what's the best and what's the best, um, 
social platform for people to see some of the stuff that we've talked about, videos and all that kind of stuff that you've put out? You know what? Uh, Twitter the best. Twitter's Twitter's good, um, and it, but Instagram's great too because you know you can just find everything right there. Where Twitter, like you got to go scroll down the feed. But I I probably put most of my my videos up on Twitter because I, I think it's just it's a great place to share and and uh, and kind of interact with coaches. Awesome. Well, I said I'd keep you between 45 minutes and an hour. So I think I've nailed it pretty much right in the, bang in the middle. But no, Jeremy, really appreciate you coming on and um, apologies for stalking you over the last six months. But yeah, no, thanks, for giving, like thanks for giving it me time. Love the I'm stuff you do. And I know, I know how popular it is and I'm probably speaking for the people that are listening as well. Um, keep doing what you do because it's, it's, it's brilliant. I appreciate it. And like I said, I love, I love the podcasts and especially that I can go back and listen to all these different guys. And you know what I mean? It's, it's just a, it's such a great resource. You know what I mean? That. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jeremy. So it's uh, it's a good thing. You're doing great stuff. So keep it up. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. Have a great day, and okay, we'll, uh, we'll keep in touch. Sounds great. Talk to you later. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Jeremy. So as I said at the start, been a long time pestering and stalking Jeremy to come on this uh, this episode, but really appreciate you tuning in and hopefully you got a lot from this chat, especially if you're working in youth development. So like I say, big thanks to Jeremy, but also big thanks to our four sponsors of this episode today, which are I Measure You, Hawking Dynamics, Black Box Fitness and Kitman Labs. So really appreciate their support. The podcast could not run without these guys. So I've got some really cool guests coming up over the next couple of weeks as we approach Christmas. And thank you for tuning in. Make sure you press subscribe on your chosen podcast player if you haven't already. And I will chat to you next week. 